How do cultural institutions respond to a crisis like COVID-19? First of all, they have to manage their workforces and keep them safe. They also have to manage the ongoing services they provide to the community and assess which of them can be maintained or delivered digitally. But public sector cultural institutions have another duty, which is to capture and reflect an extraordinary moment in our cultural history. Today on Public Sector Perspectives, we look at how the State Library of Victoria, one of Victoria's oldest and most iconic public sector cultural institutions, has responded to COVID-19. Our guide is Kate Tawney, former Director of News at the ABC and who is now the State Library's... Well, let's stop there for a moment, because while most public servants have pretty boring job titles, Deputy Director of this, Senior Project Officer for that, and even saying you're a secretary doesn't sound that great, Kate Tawney is one of the few public servants who has a cool job title. I'm the State Librarian, which just, I think, feels so powerful. Um, and actually, that was a really interesting, um, uh, really interesting moment when I joined the library because some of my predecessors who were not librarians had not taken up that title, and uh, and I spoke to the team about that, and it was really interesting and really it just demonstrated the professional generosity I think of the library sector, in that um, you know my team felt very strongly about. Uh, me taking that title, that the role encompassed that title and having come from the ABC where the Managing Director is also Editor-in-Chief, I kind of understood why that was important. Um, so it was, a really, it was a really nice moment in joining a new sector and feeling very embraced by that sector. Let's begin with a snapshot of the State Library. My guess is that almost everyone listening to this podcast will have visited at least once. Um, but of course, visitors or people who use the library probably only ever see a small, very small cross-section of what happens. Maybe you just want to take us through some of the numbers, I guess, that give a sense of the scale of the organisation that you're responsible for. Yeah, look, I, I think embarrassingly, um, when I first um, started to think about this role and think about applying for this role, I was, I, I was, I had been a user of the State Library, you know, in my university days, um, but hadn't ne- hadn't been back a lot other than to take visitors through. And so when I started to research, I was amazed to see the visitation, and I was also amazed walking through that library just to see how full it was but also the diversity of the uh, the people who are visiting. So we're the fourth most visited library in the world uh, behind the New York Public Library and the Beijing Library and then a cluster of five libraries, which is called the Brooklyn uh, Library. And so that's pretty amazing. When you think about the population of Victoria, um, that's an amazing thing. And I think... Um, you know, I think there's a few things around that. It's, um, it is a beautiful building, but sometimes beautiful buildings um, can be a little unwelcoming as well, whereas people just flock to the library. I think we are in the centre of the city. I think we have a beautiful forecourt that, you know, most times of the year, and even with Melbourne win- uh, winters, um, you know, there are people enjoying that forecourt. So I think there's something that um, has just a welcoming feel around the library but more than that I think for you know the last couple of decades the library has really been very focused on how to ensure that 
it is accessible and valuable and much loved by a range of people, whether or not you are well, you know, one of Australia's uh, most uh, celebrated authors, and we have many uh, in there all the time, or whether or not you are, a, you know, a BCE student um, who's studying, or whether or not, you know, you're a homeless person who is seeking respite. That's the beautiful thing, I think, about the library. I want to take you back to what I imagine is a pivot moment when the size of the COVID crisis became clear, because I think this is a moment that all to be honest, all public sector leaders have experienced. And it suddenly became clear what this, the scale of what was going to have to happen for the organisation that you led. I wonder if you can tell me where you were and what actually happened at that moment. Well, I'm going to um, be so transparent about this and, and I, I probably will regret it, but I have an incredible colleague, Nick um, Corvoli Clifton Blind. He is uh, um, Director of Enablers, so Corporate Services, Security, etc. And um, in January, he came to me and he said, I want to set up a session, a, a, a just a um, business continuity session, because I really think that this is going to be a problem and I want to bring all these people together. And, you know, we'd, we'd just been through quite a significant transformation, both physically of the library, we were implementing quite a big um, organisational change. We've, we seem to have spent all of our, you know, the last 12 months in workshops. And I remember saying to him, really... Is this something you could kind of just have a look at and then let us know? And he said, no, really. And we had a session. And so I have to say it was sort of late January where I suddenly thought, wow, this could be really big. And it was a fantastic session so that it just got us thinking about what that might look like and what it might look like for the library. And, uh, and he led a piece of work. So but by the time we came to decision making, I was so grateful to him and it was not me, my leadership in any way, shape or form, it was his in, in really having a plan. And I remember that, that where we were, we talked about it yesterday, we were sitting in a space, we were already socially distancing um, because I had cancer last year, so I was conscious of that. Um, and we just really calmly made the decision and he rolled out a plan that was ready made. So, as I say, that's got nothing to do with me. It's just a really fantastic executive team who, who identified but also really reinforced that actually shift your attention back here because this is where it needs to be. So, I guess the first part of the triptych for this discussion is the change to usual services. Um, what services, what sort of ongoing services could continue what, well, what had to and what had to change? Look, Nick, for us, um, we for the first week, our focus was very much on on our people, um, and uh, we have uh, we have around three hundred uh, staff, and um, for quite a large cohort, actually, um, there was limited connect connectivity at home. So, other than a uh, a phone line, actually, a lot didn't actually have devices, and so. Um, in thinking through how we were going to transition to working from home. For us, um, with a number of our team, it was literally about getting devices to people and then doing some training on how to, to utilise devices. But I think also um, a, a, another great decision by um, one of my colleagues was to pause for the first sort of week or so and to ask our audience what they needed from us. So I think you remember 
after closure, there was a flurry of activity by lots of organisations and institutions, um, and we uh, we didn't uh, have that flurry. And at a time I was thinking, should we have that flurry? But it was a really good moment to just really understand how can we help? Like, and that's such a beautiful library trait, you know, stopping and saying, how can we help? Rather than, yeah, we're here and this is what we can do. Uh, and that was really great because unsurprisingly, the audience said to us, actually, what we want access to is information, databases. We want access to things like family history, newspapers. We want access to your collection. It was all the core services that a library can provide. And importantly, we want, um, we want to be able to trust you. In a time of ambiguity with a whole lot of information flying around, we want to be able to trust you and come to you. So we collated in all the information that we could find in relation and trusted information that we could find in relation to COVID in the same way that we would if you came into the library and asked us that question. So, I, you know, I think it was that lovely, um, uh, I suppose, manifestation of going back to first principles, not trying to recreate ourselves to be something that we're not, but to really sort of say we have a duty of care to our patrons to provide them with great access and we have a duty of care as a collecting agency too. So the next phase of that was to say how do we collect the memory of this moment in time and as a library how do we do that and how do we do that in a meaningful way. Well and that brings me to the second bit of the triptych which is I guess to look at some of the things that I mean the opportunity, the, the the role that the library's playing in, in, as you say, capturing what is a unique moment in modern cultural history. Yeah, incredible, and um, and also that, that that moment was quite interesting for us to to remind the community of that that role and responsibility, and that we're all part of that. That was a lovely you know conversation that we've had with the community. Um, around how our collection has evolved over 164 years and that this is a moment that we want uh, stories and history and memory uh, that they can provide. And so we, we launched uh, Memory Bank and Memory Bank was intended to, you know, not do the sort of the, the big, bold um, archiving. But when we think about our collection, um, our collection is made up of stories within stories. So diaries that you could read and you could then, you know, just go down a beautiful rabbit hole to kind of try and understand a specific element of some individual's life that, that actually tells you so much about a broader moment in time. And, uh, and so that was the whole strategy around Memory Bank. The idea was that we provide um, prompts and so the first prompt for example was tell us what your shopping list and your uh, fridge or your freezer looks like and we just got the most beautiful or, or your you know your menu for um, for the week and you know when I thought about that I've got um, teenagers at home and you know suddenly we were all here and my fridge was emptying every two days and um, so we just got lovely input and that seems playful but in the end, Claire Wright, who was just such a beautiful historian, you know, she said that's the kind of thing that in 10, 15 and 150 years 
that shows such a beautifully human element of, of this moment in time. So our prompts have been around that. It's not, you know, give us your diary and share your diary. It, it take a photograph of your, you know, the, the, the window that you are looking out in, in lockdown. And, you know, just the simplicity of that uh, is really important. Do you get to see any of those? Do you, as 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 CEO, do people bring you sort of uh, things that people have submitted? So they're all um, online. Um, so we've got a Facebook uh, page, so the the public can see what's being said. And there's a beautiful, there's a really lovely dialogue going on around that as well. Um, and you know, so so that's multi layered. Yes, we are building an archive. We're building an archive which will, will be of value um, uh, down the track, not too far down the track, actually. We want to be able to collate that and share that when we go back on site because, you know, we understand that in recovery, part of recovery is sort of looking back and, and, and recognising what a moment in time this has been. But also it's been about building a community. So all of those conversations where someone posts something, um, you know, there's a lovely conversation around that. So it's about building community too. We'll put a link to the Facebook page in the show notes. Um, but I wanted, I suppose, to uh, turn to the challenge, the sort of internal challenges that happen to, that have internal changes that have to happen to support these sort of new ideas and new activities, or indeed to modify existing um, uh, activities. One of the things that struck me is that the often these are ideas that people have thought about in the past, but I wondered what the um, what sort of changes you had to make internally to actually make this external service provision possible. So I think that's really interesting, and we've spent the last few days having uh, meetings with all of the library teams to talk about um, to talk about what we want to hold on to. Um, because we have learnt so much about ourselves, and I'm I'm so proud of um, I, that, I, that doesn't I don't want to sound patronising, but I am so proud of the way we have just rallied, um, and that's 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 really broad, I think. But I we have just finished uh, when COVID hit, we had just finished quite a big transformation, as I said. Um, a big restructure, a, a complete rethink of how we delivered our services and how um, and how we resourced really the workforce. So we've been through a period of change. We were just bedding down teams. Literally, some teams had been together for a week. Um, and I was thinking about when when we were working through the logistics of working from home. I was thinking about a twelve month process that we had been through to to move to open um, plan work uh, spaces and the hours of consultation and discussion that we as a group had invested in that. And at one of my first sort of staff um, uh, meetings in working from home, you know, I said, really, we didn't need to do that. You know, we transitioned to working from home in 48 hours. What I want to hold on to when we go back is, you know, the bravery of actually having conversations that don't take so long, that, you know, we have demonstrated that we are far more agile and we're far more resilient and change-focused than I think we give ourselves um, credit for. Um, and the other lovely thing too, I think it is the, some of the teams um, have said over the last couple of days that 
they have got to know their team members uh, much better because there's a concentrated effort of, you know, a, a meeting, a Zoom meeting every couple of days. And um, there's a great deal of care that I think is being executed at the moment. You know, I think we've all, as a community, demonstrated a deep sense of compassion and empathy for each other. Um, and, you know, I think we have to consciously think about how we hold on to the very best of what uh, we've learnt from the past nine or ten weeks um, because it, it'll be really easy to just go back into business as usual. So for me, it's about, um, it's about being a bit more mindful about um, the way we work. I think I'm much more efficient and that's been a shared sort of observation across the organisation and... Um, but also we can make decisions quicker you know we, we got to be a bit a bit uh, more savvy about just making decisions not having to dot every I and cross every P giving stuff a go working it out on on the way through and I reckon the library has demonstrated an enormous and a fantastic uh, capacity to do that there's an awful lot written about leadership and uh, you know seminars and books and everything like that I wonder if any of what you'd heard or read or anything that you've um, been thinking about, about leadership in a crisis that has rung true from your experience over the last two months? Yeah, look, I, I think um, I, have, I have worked for really great leaders and, um, and when I think, and really great leaders, and I have worked through many a crisis with great leaders, and I think I always take away that sense of transparency. Um, and I remember when we had a staff meeting to say that we were closing the library, um, I remember walking in and, and knowing that I didn't have answers to probably 80% of the questions that were going to be asked. And, um, and I just feel with the library team that I am, I have the great privilege of leading, um, there is there is such an acceptance of that. And, and, and if, I'm, if I'm following a leader, I want that. If they don't know, I, I absolutely accept that. And I, um, and I, I suppose that's my, my approach, transparency. So being really clear when I do know, but really clear when I don't, but being able to identify a path through. But the other thing too, that is a big thing for me in a crisis, just as I was... Um, uh, you know, recognising my colleague who identified the potential threat of coronavirus, um, just knowing that I'm surrounded by the most amazing leaders and all of them have a different skill set. And uh, I, just, I just feel so confident and so supported. And it's a, it's a group effort and it always has to be a group effort. And then knowing that within their teams, there are amazing leaders who are supporting individuals. And so I think it's recognising that it's, it's not about, you know, necessarily, you know, one leader. It's just about a, a leadership culture, one of trust um, and one where, um, uh, you know, the, the, the challenging ideas is, uh, is welcome. You know, if there's a better idea on the table, uh, you know, I always kind of feel that I want to hear it. Uh, never suggest that my ideas are the best. They're they, they very rarely are. But having that open culture, I think. So it is a leadership culture rather than sort of a leadership structure. 
Nevertheless, is there something different about being at the top of a very large cultural institution that has an extraordinary long sort of history? I mean, the State Library goes back almost to the the, the founding of Victoria as a sort of political institution. Yeah. Oh, look, um, there's a, you know, the legacy looms large. And, um, you know, I've often said that, uh, you know, when I get into the library most mornings, I deliberately walk through that dome when it is empty and the room is perfectly still and the books are beautifully shelved and there is just that moment of, um, you know, it's a, it's a moment whereby the legacy looms large but it's such a privilege. You just, and I think most of the people that I work with, all of the people that I work with, um, you know, we carry that legacy with a deep sense of pride and uh, it's a privilege to work there. And, you know, when we closed the library, that was a, a huge, I mean, it was huge for everyone across organisations, but for the library, we're usually a hub during a crisis and librarians are here to help and, and they're particularly here to help at a time of difficulty. They're, and they're here to help people um, who most need our help. So closing those doors was very emotional for the library because normally we would be at the heart of holding a community during a crisis. Um, and so to shift our thinking around, all right, how do we hold a community when our doors are closed? And that's the way we framed the service that we delivered. Finally, I'd just like you to maybe reflect on a moment that happened sometime in the last two months that you think captures the organisation's, the library's response to, to COVID. What was a moment that sort of stands out in your mind? There, there are a couple of moments, but there was... Um, there was one uh, when we were able to make um, the library has access to uh, and contracts with a number um, of publishers and and providers, but it's access for on-site material, and so you know suddenly with closure, um, people didn't have access um, off-site, and so our teams were able to renegotiate access to a number of really key. Uh, pieces of material and I uh, received a beautiful email from a man who had spent the past six months doing his family history and uh, and he mentioned time constraints I don't know what those time constraints were but all of a sudden that piece of work for him stopped and when we were able to with ancestry.com um, provide access he just wrote an email saying you know, I am isolated. This is a piece of work that I've been focused on for, you know, months. Um, it, I have time constraint about it. And you do not know the difference that this will make to my period of isolation. Um, you know, really, it's just those little, little things that are really big for some people. And that's important. But I think the other thing too um, was to recognise... Um, just the enormous, uh, the commitment of the library team. As I said, we had some colleagues who don't have, um, you have limited connectivity at home. So the notion of moving to uh, working from home was really big. Um, 
And so to watch that and that transition and the commitment to ensure that each and every staff member was doing meaningful work, I think that for me has been um, really humbling and a great um, sort of a great reflection on the really great people that I work with. <laughs> Kate Tawney, thanks so much for being part of Public Sector Perspectives. That brings us to the end of Public Sector Perspectives for this week. Public Sector Perspectives is produced by IPA Victoria, and if you missed the last episode, it's with Susan Middleditch, who's Deputy Secretary for Corporate and Regulatory Services at Victoria Police. She discusses the challenge of shifting one of the most fundamental of all public sector services into a new way of working and doing it quickly. You can get in touch with Public Sector Perspectives via info at vic.ipa.org.au or via IPA Victoria on all the usual social media channels. I'm Nick Basto, and thanks for listening.